this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. So what is the worst discipline that you have ever received for doing something bad? Don't say it out loud. All right. So you know what I'm talking about. Like when you were a kid or you were uh, a teenager and you got in trouble for doing something, sneaking out or something like that. And uh, what's the worst thing you did that led to discipline? Think about that in your mind. And then think about, uh, have, you ever, did you, have you ever known anybody who uh, you just know like they never were disciplined? You know what I'm talking about? See, people are much louder when I ask that question because you're like, yeah, that one person. Um, and if you're not laughing, it might be you. So be careful there. I'm kidding. But it's that person that like, they got their HOA notice and it was like, uh, you know, you didn't, you didn't cut your grass short enough. And like, then that's like the harshest criticism and it like crumbles their entire life. And you're like, dude, you're okay. Like, just go mow the lawn. It's going to be okay. You can identify those people. So there's this thing, though, in our life, right, that we kind of, we struggle with discipline, um, whether we, like, want it or not, and, like, if it's good for us or not. But I think part of it's become because we struggle with understanding the purpose of discipline. Um, Even in the definition of discipline, if you look in, like, a a dictionary, you might find that the definition is something like uh, to make rules or to make people obey rules and to punish them when they don't obey those rules, but I think, we can, I think we can define that differently. I think we can come to a better biblical understanding of the purpose of discipline. And it might be something like this. To help people find life on earth through guidance, boundaries, reward, and punishment. But here's the thing. Discipline ought to always be oriented towards life. It ought to be always given towards goodness. Discipline, especially biblical dis- discipline that's, that's with biblical punishment, biblical justice, biblical discipline is going to look like us saying and understanding that discipline is so that someone will find good in their life that comes from God or so that others around them will find good in their life uh, because of the discipline. Like discipline should always protect life, whether it be for the person or other individuals. A good example of that would be my son, Brecken. He... Uh, he sometimes occasionally will hit his sister, and uh, yeah, nothing we want, not good. Uh, so my wife and I will uh, discipline him when this happens. First, it might be something like, Brecken, don't hit your sister. All right, that's first warning, okay? Second, it's Brecken, if you hit your sister, which well, there's really not a second warning for this. I've told him that. It's like, there's no, like, you hit her again, here's what happens. So I kind of put down the rules, right? And here's, here it is. If you hit her again... I will take away your Bronco. That's it. That's all it takes. <laughs> if I take away his Bronco, we're all good. Like, he's not going to touch her. He, you know, he, he's going to do everything good. Um, he loves that Ford Bronco. It's just a little Ford Bronco my dad got him. All right? So, but here's the thing. It's good for him. It's good for him because if he doesn't stop doing that, it's going to result in things in his life that are not good for him. And I know that. He doesn't know that. He's three. He doesn't know that, right? All he knows is his sister made him mad. <laughs> um, but here's also what we know, right? Is that if he continues to do that, what else is it going to hurt? It's going to hurt his sister. If I allow that, it's going to put in her mind that daddy doesn't care when another man hits her, 
that to Breck's mind, daddy doesn't care if he hits a girl. And in the future, he's going to be a little bit bigger and could hurt her. So what I'm doing right now is preparing him for good in the future. You see what I'm saying? Discipline ought to always be for good. The problem is sometimes discipline slips into something that is not good. When, you are or, when discipline is oriented towards evil or wickedness or death or whatever it may be towards someone, that punishment is shifting from something that is good for somebody to something that is wicked for somebody. Now all of a sudden it's shifted from biblical discipline to either harassment, neglect, or abuse. Uh, you might see a situation where it's like a dictator towards his people. They can shift from biblical justice and biblical discipline and punishment towards something that is harsh and critical towards his people. And so what we need to find is what does biblical discipline look like? Because God has chosen to give biblical discipline to those whom he has chosen. And the, the wonder, I think this is the great thing about it is that God's chosen people happen to pe- be people who are servants of God. Look at this, Isaiah 41.8, But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen. Haggai 2, verse 23, which we're going to see today, it says, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, and make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. In Isaiah 42.1, This is my servant, I strengthen him, this is my chosen one. You see, throughout Scripture, it's been the servant who is the chosen one. Probably culminates in David for the Old Testament. You'll see in Ezekiel verse uh, chapter thirty-four, verse twenty-three. It says, "I'll establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them." And David, being the chosen one, the king, uh, we know that we know that the servant's going to be a shepherd. He's going to be someone who will uh, who, who will listen to God, who will obey what God has for him. Um, we know that the, that servants and shepherds are humble. Uh, and uh, don't want to overthrow God, but rather are willing to submit to God. And those are, servants are the ones who are chosen by God. And those who are chosen by God are those who are disciplined by God. It's hard to discipline someone who is not humble. You know what I'm saying? I, I, think, I think most parents would agree with this. And, and, and as you, children uh, and teenagers and young marrieds or people looking towards marriage, get this. And try to wrestle with this. When your parents are disciplining you, if it's for your good, you can either push back against it or you can humbly submit to it knowing that it is good for you. And it's the same way as our relationship with God the Father. We can either push back against what He has for us or we can lean into the discipline that He has for us because we know that it is good for us. Let's look at Haggai chapter 20, or chapter 2. There's only two chapters. Haggai chapter 2, verse 10 through 23. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of armies says. Ask the priest for a ruling. If a man is carrying consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and it, uh, and it touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, does it become holy? The priest answered, No. Then Haggai asked, If someone defiled by contact with a corpse touches any of these, does it become defiled? The priest answered, It becomes defiled. Then Haggai replied, So is this people, and so is this nation before me. This is the declaration, uh, Lord's declaration. And so is every work of their hands, even what they offer there is defiled. Now from this day on, think carefully. Before one stone was placed on another in the Lord's temple, what state were you in? When someone came to a grain heap of 20 measures, it only amounted to 10. When one came to the wine press to dip 50 measures from the vat, it only amounted to 20. I struck you. 
all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, but you didn't turn to me. This is the Lord's declaration. From this day on, think carefully. From the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day of the, uh, the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, think carefully. Is there still seed left in the granary? The vine, the fig, the pomegranate, and the olive oil tree have not yet produced. But from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the powers of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. On that day, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. This is the Lord's declaration. And make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. The main point for you this morning is this, is that God's promise leads to discipline and leads to life. God's promise leads to discipline, leads to life. So let's look at it specifically in this passage. We see first that God punishes them in their disobedience. You can see it in verses 11 through 13, or through 12, when he, uh, he asked the question, essentially, um, if you come into the Lord's presence and you are defiled, do you make the things around God's presence defiled or do you make them clean? Well, clearly you make them unclean. Again, he asked the question something like this, is um, if you come into the Lord's presence and there are clean things there, do they make you clean if you're unclean? And the answer is no in this particular situation. So what Haggai is showing us is this, is if you're coming into God's presence unholy, then you are going to make things in God's presence unholy. Just because you have good things, just because you're offering good things, doesn't, make, doesn't mean that it's going to make you good. All right? So what we do is we take good things and we make them bad. We don't take good things and they make us good. All right? So God's punishment then is, in, is uh, what we can see in verse uh, 17. I struck you all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hell, but you didn't turn to me. And there's where we see the purpose. What is the purpose of punishment? It's to turn people to God. Why? Think about what's going on in this situation. Okay, what they bring to, uh, to God doesn't make them good. Uh, it, there can be offerings, there can be sacrifices made, but it doesn't make them holy. It can make... It can, for them, make forgiveness, but it's not going to make them clean. And so that when they come into God's presence, now they're bringing unholy things into God's presence. What, what Haggai is telling us is God used punishment, discipline, to turn them towards what is good, because if they continue on the path that they're going on, they'll find the path that they're going on ends in destruction. It ends in evil, wickedness, and hell, not only on earth, but for eternity. So you can go down that road, or God's punishment and discipline is to put them back on the path towards God, to turn towards Him, and now pursue after Him. Which results in, when punishment results in turning to God, and turning to God should result in blessings on earth. Now I want to pause here for a second, because we've got to flesh this out. First, let's, let's, uh, in our minds, let's get this picture down. Um, Something like promise, the promise of freedom in God's presence leads to discipline for complacency and laziness, which leads to life with God in the temple. All right? Try to, try to figure this in your mind of, uh, with me. Join me in this, of Haggai. At first, they struggled with what? Laziness and um, 
uh, focused on other things. They were distracted. All right, so let's say lazy and distracted. Second, they were struggling with uh, fighting against God's word, authority. It was like God would tell them to do something. They're like, no, no, no I'm not going to do that because I'm not, not going to trust in you. All right? Third, uh, which is in the passages we're seeing, is they're unholy. So they're struggling with holiness, right? Uh, they're struggling with uh, being like Christ um, and doing what God has called them to do. So we see three different struggles. But what did God promise them? Out of Babylon, he's going to save them into freedom. So he takes them from slavery into freedom. So the promise is this, freedom in God's presence. So there's a promise of God's freedom, uh, a freedom in God's presence, which leads to God disciplining them for first, complacency and uh, being distracted and being lazy. Second, for dis- uh, disregarding his authority and his word. And third, for being unholy and not doing what he's called them to do. All right? So you can see throughout Haggai that God is disciplining them, bringing them into what God has for them, punishing them so that they might do what is good, because it is what is good for them. Now that discipline ought to lead to what? Life. The promise was for freedom in God's presence, but they were not uh, pursuing that, and so God disciplines them to bring them back into that life, in God's presence with freedom. Don't go back into that slavery in Babylon. Be free. That's exactly what it says in Romans chapter 6 to us. Romans, uh, Romans chapter 6 and Galatians chapter 5 is, don't return back to slavery. Why would you who are free want to go back into slavery? This is the same message that's been preached throughout all time, from Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, when we failed and struggled since then, it's the same message. Why would you want to return back into that when you have the goodness of God's freedom and forgiveness? So the promise of freedom in God's presence leads to discipline for complacency and latency, which leads to life with God forever. And the goodness and blessings that come when God lives in your presence and lives in you. Now, that leads to uh, that hopefully in your life, when you wrestle with like uh, in Haggai where it says, you know, unholy, and you're struggling with doing what God has called you to do, and struggling with being who God has called you to be. It could be something as simple as like, you're just struggling with anger towards your uh, friend, or towards a spouse, or maybe you just have struggles in some of your friendships and relationships right now. Maybe you're struggling with work in general. Maybe you're struggling with um, uh, pursuing after God, and you're kind of rejecting the things of God right now in your life. Wherever you are, and whatever you're struggling with, I want you to see that throughout Scripture, uh, there is a struggle that leads to uh, uh, punishment or discipline to bring them back in towards obedience. And so we see in Haggai chapter 2, verse 19, that God blessed them in obedience. It says, Is there still seed left in the granary? The vine, the fig, the pomegranate, and the olive uh, tree have not yet produced, but from this day on I will bless you. So the idea is that all these other things that are wicked and evil and have been corrupted... Uh, those are being punished but not turning back. Those, are, those things can be gone, but there's still hope. The idea is that there's still people who will pursue after God. There's still people who will turn away from these wicked things and turn towards what is good. Man, if you look throughout Scripture, just Haggai especially and all throughout Scripture, what you're going to see is sometimes people are obedient, sometimes people are disobedient. Struggling. Uh, to follow after God, and then they're pursuing after God. You even in your own life, maybe you'd say, like today, you like uh, when I first came to faith in Jesus Christ, I was so passionate and so on fire. I was serving. Uh, I loved doing what God had called me to do. I was so excited about everything God called me to do. And then all of a sudden, I started struggling. 
And then, and then I got back into the season. I was like, man, I'm so excited about serving King Jesus. I want to serve King Jesus. And then you start struggling. Maybe sin crept in. Start, an addiction to sin crept in. And you started following after that and pursuing that more than you did pursued after God. And then you started following God again. You found forgiveness and salvation. Here's the thing, though. That's exactly what we see throughout all of the Old Testament. They struggle, and then they find victory. And then they struggle, and then they find victory. Not only that, we see it actually in Haggai, Right? Haggai chapter 1, they're complacent and lazy, and then they turn back to God. Haggai chapter 2, they're disobeying God's word and authority, and they're turning back to God. Haggai, Haggai at the end of Haggai cha- uh, chapter 2, we see them unholy, uh, and then he comes to Zerubbabel, and he's like, okay, now I'm going to work through you. In all of this, we see the highs and lows of life, the struggle in life, and yet God continues to be faithful through it all. That's what's remarkable about the whole story is we struggle, we ebb and flow, we go back and forth, and yet all throughout all of that, God is the one who is faithful. And so when I get to this passage, I don't know about you guys, uh, Paul, I, I struggle with this. When you, when you look at this, it's like, okay, we're not talking about the prosperity gospel, and here's what the prosperity gospel is. When you do what is right, you, re, you get blessings. When you do what is wrong, you don't get blessings. I, I could say it like this, too. If you follow after Jesus, you'll have money, health, and prosperity in in America. And if you don't follow after Jesus closely, if you're struggling in your relationship with Jesus, then you won't have health, wealth, and prosperity. So it's the idea of the more you read your Bible, the more you go to church, the more you tithe, the more you do good things, uh, the richer you'll be and the healthier you'll be. So if you get sick, it's because you didn't have enough faith. Right? Okay. So you, you read through this passage... And you're like, okay, well, they're doing evil things, and they're getting punished for it. If they do good things, then they'll be blessed for it. So this sounds a lot like the prosperity gospel. But you've got to back out for a second. You've got to look at this holistically and look through Haggai and see what's happening here. Because if we go from Genesis to Revelation, here's what we're going to see a story of. If, if our blessing is dependent upon our obedience, we are all going to be cursed. And that's actually what Romans 3.23 says. And people struggle with this, and I'm like, come on, walk with me through this. Here's what I'm going to do for you. I want to just, just, for a moment, consider that your house is the most perfect house in Carroll County. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though? Like, it's, <laughs> it's so, like, clean and crisp and nothing bad and nothing old and nothing that can make you sick. Like, you have to consider this. If I'm saying this, that means that anything that can make you sick is no longer there. Any allergy-type things, uh, any unhealthy treats, those Twinkies, you know what I'm talking about? Oatmeal cream pies you can heat up for 10 seconds in the microwave. Um, all those things got to be pulled out of the house because tomorrow you are going to wake up and you're going to live a perfect life. You got to wake up with no anger towards anyone, no resentment towards anyone, no greed, no jealousy, uh, uh, no frustrations towards your spouse or towards a, a, a friend or coworker. You need to perfectly do your job. You need to honor everything and follow all the speed limits out there. You got to do everything perfect. And we know the problem with this is what? We can't do that. And so if, if you take Genesis to Revelation and you go, okay, you're going to be blessed if you're obedient and cursed if you're disobedient. Well, you look at the, the promise to Abraham and you're like, well, yeah, if you bless God's people, you're going to be blessed. If you curse God's people, you're going to be cursed. Okay, that makes sense. If you're obedient, then you'll, you'll live with God for eternity. If you're disobedient, you won't live with God for eternity. So all this makes sense. Like, it, the, the, the getting good things for doing good makes total sense throughout Scripture. Here's the problem. 
We just don't do good things. You know what I'm saying? We struggle. So you get to, you get to this part in Haggai, and it's like, okay, they were lazy and distracted. And I'm like, oof. Have you ever struggled with being distracted in your spiritual life? They were, they didn't listen to God's word because it went contrary to what they think they needed to do. Have you ever been that way in your life? And then they were, uh, they didn't have the attitude of Christ. They were what you would call defiled. So you might be something like angry or jealous or greed, you know, have greed in your life. And you have all these things in your life. Now you're going, all right, I, I struggled with all of those things. So what do I get? And it's like, Okay, God, if, if I want to put it in those categories where if I do good, I get good things, and if I do wicked, I get wicked things, then I'm going to continually get wicked things. I know this. And so that's why when Haggai progresses forward, it's always moving towards the plan of God and the faithfulness of God to us through Zerubbabel. A, a, a person in Haggai that you may not have ever seen in Scripture uh, or read about in Scripture, but it's all working through him for good for you. Check this out. Haggai chapter 2, verse 20 through 23. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall each by his brother's sword. On that day, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, this is the Lord's declaration, and make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Now just pause with me for a moment and ask some questions. What is a signet ring first? Signet ring is uh, what a king would wear, and w- when he would make an official decree, a written uh, decree, he would take that signet ring and impress it on uh, that document to show that that is from him. It would, it would go with his name towards someone else. So what people could do is they could say, they could take that document and they could know, man, this is from the king. I need to make sure I obey this. So what God is saying is Zerubbabel is his person who is preaching a gospel, preaching towards obedience and repentance in a way that people ought to hear it and see it and go, that's from God. I need to obey that. Zerubbabel is going to be the person who's going to preach the gospel, that through him the promise of the gospel is going to be fulfilled. But if you back up with me and you look at Jeremiah 22, verses 24 through 27, we'll see a completely different picture. Check this out. It says, As I live, this is the Lord's declaration. Though you, Kaniah, son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, were a signet ring on my right hand, I would tear you from it. In fact, I will hand you over to those you dread and who intend to take your life to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon and the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and your mother uh, who gave birth to you into another land where neither of you were born and there you will both die. They will never return to the land they long to return to. Now, who is this talking about? This is talking about Jeconiah. Now, if if you think through this, like, it says Kaniah, it's short for Jeconiah. We know that Jeconiah was the son of Jehoiakim, but Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. So, so get, think through this. Zerubbabel is now the one who is promised to be the one that God's promise would work through. 
But if you back up two generations just to his grandfather, his grandfather is the one who had the signet ring, who was God's promise on earth to work through him to uh, forgiveness and freedom, and he lost it. Man, I don't, I don't know about you, but like I see this throughout, his, like throughout history and throughout the Bible, and I'm like, man, kingdoms rise and fall. What is it, on average, a, an empire or a kingdom lasts like 200 years or something? They rise and fall. Great empires are gone. We don't even, we don't even remember Persia, hardly, unless we read it in, her, in history books. Right? The Greek empire is nothing like what it used to be. The Roman empire, nothing like what it used to be. All these things rise and fall. Not only that, but us as people, people groups and, and with, our, uh, with uh, being good stewards of God's creation, not good stewards of God's creation, with being evil and wicked generations and, 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 and turning back to God and trying to do what is right. Like, all of history is just moving towards what is good and moving towards what is wicked and evil. And it's just a constant flow up and down. But here we see that God was working through Jeconiah and then Jeconiah was disobedient. But just two generations later, his grandson comes back, and God's like, I'm going to continue working through you. Because God's plan never ends. Where did Jeconiah end up? He ended up, because of his wickedness and the evil, and because of what he was doing to the people, he ended up with everybody else as a servant in Babylon. But remember, Babylon, with the Chaldeans, is the same place that God brought the people back to Israel to give them freedom. So in their disobedience and punishment, they go away and into refugees and slavery, and yet God frees them and saves them back into the promised land. Like God's plan does not end. God is faithful and good. What God is doing in uh, your life, maybe you're like, man, I don't know. Um, I don't know where God is. I feel like God's not with me. I feel like I'm in this deep valley. Maybe right now you feel like you have hit rock bottom. Those seasons of ups and downs, you feel like you're right at the bottom of it. Well, don't forget that God is not finished with you. If he wasn't finished with Jeconiah and the family that would work through Zerubbabel, he's not finished with you. Because what does Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 say, verse 12 say? After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah fathered Shealtiel. Shealtiel fathered Zerubbabel. And ultimately, who does that wind up in? Jesus. And you may, maybe you feel like Jeconiah right now. Maybe you feel like Zerubbabel. No matter what you feel like, know that God can still work through you. God still can work through you for the good of others and for his glory. God still can work in you to bring about good for you and good for others. Don't feel like you're too far gone or you're, 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 you're uh, finished and that God's done working with you. God is always and continually working in our lives. Now, here's the thing. I, man, if, if, if a blessing and goodness in our life is dependent upon what we do and like our obedience... And cursing is, you know, bad things and wickedness and evil in our life is dependent upon um, what we do that's evil. And like I said, man, we're all going to be struggling with evil, wickedness, pain, punishment, uh, curse on this earth. But God worked through Jeconiah and worked through Zerubbabel and worked to Jesus. You hear me say this often, but I want you to hear it again. When 
Jesus came and lived the life I could not live. I say that intentionally because we can know that even though our obedience is not good, and even though we struggle and we're not good, therefore we're not going to receive the blessings, we know that Jesus' obedience was perfect. That he is good. And that because he is good, God has blessed him. That every spiritual blessing has been poured out into Jesus Christ. That everything that is good can be found in Jesus because he was obedient when I'm not. Because he lived the life I could not live. But Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 through 4 says this. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. Every spiritual blessing we have, all that is good that we have can be found in Jesus. By faith, we've been adopted as sons and daughters of God, adopted in the family of God, and we are becoming co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That means that everything that he's given to his son, he is now giving to us. And so all those blessings that would never have been given to us because of our disobedience have now been poured out into us because of Jesus' obedience. Now just, just flip Ephesians 1, 3-4 upside down and just go backwards and look at it like this. It says, be holy and blameless in love before him. What were they struggling with in Haggai? They weren't holy. You back it up one more step and what does it say? It says, for he chose us in him. What you, who, he chooses servants and he disciplines his servants. You back it up one more step, and what does it say? It says he blesses those who he's, who he's chosen. And all of a sudden we see the same gospel message has been poured out in Genesis. It's been poured out in Isaiah. It's been poured out in Ephesians. The same gospel message has been poured out in every single place of Scripture for all the fallen and broken people who have disobeyed and obeyed and have disobeyed and obeyed. For all those people, the same gospel message that was poured out is now poured out towards you. And I think, man, I think it's so good to know that, like, the gospel was not just for that 180 time where 10 other people were speaking of the gospel uh, through them. The gospel's for all time. Do you know there was 10 other types of messiahs in, in Jesus' day, at least 10, who all said that they were the Savior in, the, in 180s, the first century? 10 other people, all saying the gospel message. But you know what, what gospel message doesn't stand? Any of theirs. You know, a gospel message was not consistent with the rest of Scripture, any of theirs. But Jesus' gospel message was consistent throughout all Scripture, and I believe throughout all history. If you want to be blessed for doing good things, you're going to struggle throughout your life, and you're never going to find heaven. But if you want to be blessed because Christ's obedience, and you have faith that his obedience is far greater than your own, I believe that God will pour out blessings into your heart and your life. Because we have eternal life now that will continue forever. So my challenge to you this morning, I have a few, a gospel response to the fact that Jesus did what we could never do. He lived a life that was perfect because I can't. He died a death that I deserved, and he raised from the dead because I could not. And now I can because of him. So I'm challenging you with this this morning. Would you believe that in every season, blessing is coming? I think this is so critical to our faith in Jesus Christ, that in every season, blessing is coming in Christ. 
Not blessing for your obedience, but blessing because of Christ. In every season, blessing is coming. We can always know that blessing is coming. Whether here right now or in the future, we can always know that blessing is coming. And it's, it's so critical to know that this is not dependent on your first, uh, first world status, second world status, third world status. It's not dependent upon your uh, ethnicity or where you were born or anything like that. It's not dependent upon your social status and how much influence you have. This kind of blessing is not dependent upon those things. Because if it is, think about this. If your blessing is dependent upon uh, your, where you are in the world, then you might lose $1,000 a day and think that God hates you. you. You might lose your job today and think that God hates you. You might lose someone whom you love today and think that God hates you. When we attach blessings to what we experience in this world that's full of hell on earth, when we attach blessings to that, then we start to go, well, if, if everything's not perfect, then maybe God just doesn't love me. And the dips and down, and, and up and down of our life all of a sudden starts to be tied to if God loves you or not. But remember that even though you were going up and down and disobedient, obedient, disobedient, obedient, it wasn't because of your obedience that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to save you. It was because He loves you. And so now it's not like because I'm disobedient, um, this person passed away, or because I'm disobedient, I lost $6,000. Because I'm disobedient, I lost my job. It's not because of those things. Because if it was, think through this. If it was, man, this would be, we've got to be careful how we communicate. If, it, if our blessing is dependent upon our, uh, our own actions and not the actions of Jesus Christ, if our blessing is dependent upon our, our own actions, then imagine the person in a third world country right now who has no food, water, or shelter who has a dictator who's abusive and doesn't care about them, who cannot escape this tragedy of their life because they're enslaved to it, who is desperately awaiting their Savior, Jesus Christ. Imagine telling them that if you only make $40,000 a year, then God doesn't love you. Imagine telling them that if they lose their job, which they never even had, that God doesn't love them. You see, our... God's love for you is not dependent upon what you make or the job you have or the status you have in this world. God's love has been shown to you through Him giving His Son, Jesus Christ, for you. And we've got to be careful what we communicate as Christians when we struggle with things in life that we aren't running back to Him going, look, I, God, I, I am struggling. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with this. I'm in sin, and I need you. And so all of Haggai points towards Jesus. The whole entire book, all of, all of the Old Testament points to, to Jesus because in Him, there's salvation for you. So would you believe that in every season, blessing is coming in Christ? In every season, not just the easy ones. My challenge to you is not to get lazy while living now. It's so easy to get distracted, lazy, or complacent while living now, right now, in this time. Just go, look, you know, things are okay. I just don't, I'm good. I don't need to pursue after God. I don't need to do what He has for me. I don't need to continually work on my family, my children, my spouse, my marriage. And all these, it's easy, so easy to get distracted and lazy in the midst of living now. I'm challenging you like God challenged Haggai. Maybe you need to climb up a mountain, grab some wood, and get to work. Maybe you've just fallen so far away from what God has for you that you've gotten so um, distracted and lazy in your life that you've gotten to a place right now in your life where you're like, well, I'm here now. I'm here, what do I do? I don't even know how I got here, but I'm here now. What do I do? So I challenge you, don't get lazy while living now. Don't get distracted while living now. 
And finally, as the, as the worship team comes up, I want you to evaluate this in your life. Are you listening to God? Like, are you listening to God? Here's a good, here's a good uh, process to think through. Um, do, do you know anybody in your life who's just like a really bad listener? Or do you know anybody in your life that's like a really good listener? You got to be really careful who you look at right now. You know, <laughs> I'm like, is my what's my wife saying behind me right now? <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. You know, <laughs> I love you. Uh, so, but we really have to think through this. If you're if you're like one of those people when you come up to people, you're like, um, like, man, how you doing? And, and, and you ask somebody how they're doing, and they start to talk, and then you all of a sudden you just like jump in and you're just like start pouring out on them, and you're like. Well, let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about that. Here's what you need to do. And you start just pouring out your own wisdom and how they should live and what they can do. You just flow in and all of a sudden you're like, this other person's like, man, they didn't even listen to me. We've got to be really careful here because if we struggle with listening on earth, we probably struggle with listening to God. If your prayer life looks like you're just dumping things on God, like here's what I got. Here's all these different things. Here's all these different people. Um, I think, I think it's possible for us to get so many people on our prayer list and so many things on our prayer list that we actually forget to even listen to God. It actually feels kind of like a holy warranted distraction. It's like, God, I, gotta, I haven't gone through this one, this one, this one. And then all of a sudden you're just like, okay, thank you. I got to get to work. Man, have you, when's the last time you like sat in the presence of God with nothing that you needed to tell him? We're just like, God, what, what do you want from me right now? Because it's so easy to go to God and like, here's what I want. But, but just like, what do you want from me right now? Look, look back at uh, Haggai 2, verses 1 through 9 sometime. And just evaluate and look through how they just didn't listen to God. They just completely dis- were distracted, disobedient. They didn't care about his authority. And so he says, I'm going to shake the nations. Like sometimes he just has to wake us up to remind us. But my, my challenge is for you to evaluate, are you listening to God or are you just speaking to God? And then finally, I want you to do something really practical. And you can write it down in your journals, write it down in your phones or whatever, but you're going to see it on screen. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down promise and then I want you to put uh, just some, some blanks there and I want you to start filling it in. And it might be easier to go backwards, start with leads to life, because you might be able to identify something in your life. You're like, man, it's my, uh, my friendships are just really broken. Uh, my relationship with my family is just really broken. Or maybe my marriage is really broken. Or my attitude is just really broken. You might be able to identify something in your life and be, be just like, place it right here. Like, leads to life in my marriage. Leads to life uh, personally and in my addictions. You can just put down anything that, like, you're just, you really want God to bring life in the midst of. You found, you feel like you have a dead marriage, dead friendships, dead, uh, you feel like dead inside, like you're depressed or anxious, and all these things have culminated, and you're just feeling like, man, this looks like death. And then you can go back, and you can go, okay, well, if God's leading to life in this category, in, in this place in my life, what do I need to discipline right now? What is God disciplining in me right now? Because if I'm going to find life in my marriage, then I need to know that God is going to be pruning some things, disciplining some things in my marriage, in my own attitude and how I speak to my wife. I had to apologize to my wife yesterday because I was just not kind to her. And I was like, come on, Matt. I'm walking around Walmart like, ugh. You know, you just get frustrated with yourself. You're, you're tired. You're Things are going on in your life, and you say something you shouldn't have said. And I had to apologize to her, which we love apologizing. <laughs> um, 
Look, God's still disciplining things in your life and in your marriage and your relationships and your coworkers, all the things with your attitude, uh, with your anger, with your greed, with your jealousy. Think through all those things. Of, like, what is God disciplining in your life? Punishing and blessing to draw you near through the goodness that it tastes like, but to also push you away for the badness that it is. What is he disciplining in your life? And then you can go back to, okay, remember the promises. You can look throughout Scripture and find so many different promises. What did God promise for my marriage? What did God promise for my relationships with others? What did God promise for my love towards the world? What did God promise for my attitude towards others? What did God promise through the fruit of the Spirit? You look at all those things, you start listing out those promises, and you say, okay, God, you have promised me this, but I am in a season of, uh, of rejecting it, and so you're disciplining me in this way, and I know that it's going to lead to life. So I hope for you, as you go throughout this day and this week, you will start processing through and continue to process through what is God doing in your life to bring you towards goodness? What is God doing to bring you towards the life that he has for you? And remember this, as we move away from Haggai, never settle for less than God has for you and never desire for more than God wants for you. Never settle for less than God has for you and never desire for more than God wants for you. So I'm going to close with the gospel. The gospel message is that Jesus Christ did what I could never do. He lived a life of perfection because I am imperfect. That he took the cross because on the cross he took every bit of my sin and wickedness and evil upon himself. I could never do it. I couldn't do the perfect life, nor could I do the cross. I could never sacrifice my life for others. And so he sacrificed his life for me. Not only that, but he raised from the dead so that even though I die on this earth, even though we all die because of our own choices and our actions, he rose from the dead so that I can too. And so today I hope you have the hope of Jesus in your life. I hope that you will believe in Jesus because in Jesus we have blessings. And those blessings are for now and for forever. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. We thank you for your message through Haggai, the gospel that has been presented to us that culminated in Jesus Christ through the servant Zerubbabel. I pray that just as Jesus was our servant and the chosen one who has all the blessings for us, I pray that, God, you would raise up servants in this room who are chosen by you, following after your son Jesus Christ, becoming more like him in this world. I pray, God, that those who are depressed in this room will find an insane amount of joy in your son Jesus. The, the, the kind of joy that can only be found in him. I pray for those who are angry in this room to find a calm peace in your son Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that those who are coveting other things would find contentment in your son Jesus. I pray, Father, today that if there's anybody who's lacking and wanting and desiring more, that they will find exactly what they need in your son Jesus Christ. I pray all these things knowing that by faith and your grace towards us that they can find all the blessings that they need. So God, would you pour out blessings in this place this morning? We love you and pray in your son's name. Amen. you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.